You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. Most of us, whenever we, we hear like the number one, uh, for some maybe uh, of the older persuasion in the room, you think of like a song or something like that. But we don't really, we don't really place much value in that. Like it's, it's usually something kind of small and in, in, insignificant. Like whoever just wants one cookie, right? I mean, like, do you ever really just want one cookie? I mean, you know that you probably shouldn't have any cookies, but when you have one, you're like, I want six more, right? I mean, like, that's just one is just never really good enough. And as you can tell, like often I agree. Um, and so, I mean, like a dollar, a dollar doesn't really get you much. Even if you like go in the supposed dollar store, um, really hard lesson to learn is there's this thing called taxes. Uncle Sam keeps trying to get from us. And so like, if you have, a, if you have like a dollar, so it doesn't get you stuff at the dollar store, right? I mean, like one to us in like, in our frame of, of reference in our world <clears throat> really is just kind of Kind of meaningless almost like it's just really insignificant but the bible consistently speaks of one consistently over over and over and over again there's this one treasure worth selling everything for there's this one pearl of great price which we're going to look at it uh, here there's the one lost sheep that jesus runs after there's the one wayward son there's the one Lord and Savior, there's the one God, right? This, <clears throat> this phrase in Scripture and the idea of the kingdom of heaven of one, this idea of one actually continues to be elevated to significance, where in our world we think one, and it's, it's kind of meaningless almost, it's low, low value, but in, in God's kingdom, it's, it's much more than that. It's just one example, uh, pun intended, of how different the world and the kingdom are, the perspective of the things of this world versus the perspective of the kingdom, how very different they really are, how for us, one seems insignificant, but for God, he takes over and over and over again in scripture, you see him taking what seems <clears throat> insignificant, someone who doesn't seem really to be the hero situation that seem hopeless and God continues to redeem and rescue using things that seem meaningless to this world. Uh, like Jesus called his disciples one by one. He didn't like to stand in front of a large crowd and was like, hey, you're all going to follow me now. Like it wasn't how it worked. He called them one by one. And then those 11 who stuck with him to, to the end there, they, they changed the world. They literally changed the world. And over and over and over again, God does these incredible things with what seems to be very little. Gideon in the Old Testament had this small, he, God dwindled his army on purpose to a smaller amount, but then he won this incredible battle. He had this ragtag group that won this battle they shouldn't have. Um, the Israelites march around the walls of Jericho and blow their trumpets, and they see this wall crumble before them. Uh, and anybody who's been doing band camp the last couple of weeks, you know that that's not necessarily an easy thing to do, right? To march for hours and then blow trumpets and stuff. Um, but that kind of, in this setting, you're like trying to attack this city, it kind of seems like pointless. Like, okay, you want us to walk around in the sun and blow horns for a little while, God? Okay, send the marching band out to fight the battle. Let's do it, right? Everyone would go, no, no, that's, 
We don't send the marching band to fight battles. They stand on the side to give us encouragement, right? I, I was in marching band. I get it. I'm not hating on the marching band, right? But like we just know they're not the people we send in the battle, but God's like, no, 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 this is how we're doing it. The marching band is going to take the city, right? Um, and so God takes what in some kind of setting seems really crazy and almost, I mean, just, just weird, and he does incredible stuff with this stuff over and over and over again. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Matthew chapter 13. Grab a Bible. Open to that. If you don't have one, there's some in the window seals each week. You can grab one of those in the window seals on each side. Um, so Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 through 46. I believe they'll be on the screen for us, too, uh, if you don't have the Bible. Um, so Matthew 13, starting in verse 45. This is Jesus talking, just to get some context here. Uh, Jesus has this whole series of parables, which are uh, these uh, sort of allegorical stories he tells that have a, a moral point to them. And so he's, he just talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure hidden, hidden in a field. And now he, he continues on this theme a little bit. And he says in 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Found this pearl of great value and sold everything that he had to buy that one item. Get a little context here, uh, a little more. So for us, and especially where you guys are in life where you're like me and you're poor and you can't afford things like pearls and stuff, uh, but in, they even now are pretty valuable things. But uh, in this time in history, when Jesus was speaking, pearls actually had more value than diamonds. They were actually not just like one of the most valuable things. Pearls, significant ones, were actually, at this time in history, the most valuable uh, like uh, commodity that you could get. And so Jesus is not just saying, like, the kingdom of heaven is, is like one of the most expensive things. No, he's like, the kingdom of heaven in your context, is the most valuable thing there is. The highest value you can place on anything in your life, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like that, and maybe even more, and is more so. And they were so, they were so valuable because they were, at, we have technology and things that make this easier for us now, but at that time, diving, I don't know if you know how pearls are made, I'm not going to go into the whole science of that, but they come from oysters, right, which are gross to eat, but, you know, they make pearls, so that's cool. Um, but it's, it's, it was dangerous for them to dive and, and get these oysters and bring them up and, and, and get these pearls and stuff, and so these people, because these things were so valuable, people were risking their lives Lots of people died trying to, to find pearls because they were so valuable, but also people were selling everything they had and investing in trying to go find pearls because they, they thought it was a wise investment to find these because they could turn around and sell them and make more money than they ever had before. And so they saw these things as, as so valuable they were willing to risk everything, even their own lives, to gain these pearls. I, I'm not going to risk my life for something that somebody's going to hang around their neck, right? I mean, I'm just, just not going to do that. But, these, but they did, and some people still do that kind of stuff. But what is it? So Jesus is equating the kingdom of heaven to this, this thing is the most valuable thing you can find. That's the kingdom of heaven. So what is it about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're kind of interchangeable here, that is so valuable? What is it that makes it worth risking everything for? Those of you who have been Christians for a while, you probably have like a dozen things. You're like, oh, that's easy. And you list like a whole bunch of stuff, and that's fine. But the, the answer really is the gospel. 
the gospel is what makes the kingdom so valuable that God seeks salvation, that Jesus came. Remember, in this time, getting pearls was dangerous uh, and risky to do. People lost their lives. It's the kingdom of God that God calls us into to be a part of. Jesus didn't just risk his life, he gave his life for, for us to have a way to get to God, to be forgiven of our sins, all these things. Jesus stepped into the world and gave his life. He took all of our sins, no matter how big, no matter how small, he took all of our sins because this debt, Paul tells us in Romans, that the, that the wage, the payment for our sins, no matter how big or small, the payment for our sins that we owe is death. It's death. And you're like, oh, that's scary, JJ. Well, it is. It absolutely is. It's very serious. The sin that we all have, the payment for that, the result of that is death. But Jesus steps in and says, wait, I'll pay that price. I I will take your place and die the death that you deserve to die. And he, even more than that, he, to prove that he has power over death and power over everything. He was in the grave for three days and then he rose from the dead, conquering death and proving that he has power over grave. He has power over all of those things. That's the gospel that anybody who would, would believe in that, that Jesus is who he says he is, what scripture says he is, and have faith in that. That salvation, that's what makes the kingdom of God so valuable. Because all of the things of this world that we all, myself, I'm guilty of, a lot of times we all run around and try and collect and gather up all these things of the world and that kind of stuff. Jesus says, all of that stuff breaks, all of that stuff rusts, all of that stuff fades away. The only thing that remains eternal is heaven, is relationship with God. It's the only thing that remains eternal. And the only one way to gain that eternal life with God is that belief and faith in Jesus. That's it. That's it. But Jesus, it was impossible, though, uh, for us to do that. It's impossible for us to gain. Like, most of us, if you, if you work hard enough, you get lucky enough and that kind of stuff, you can, you can work your way in to do some incredible things here on earth. You can have you can have wealth, you can have, you know, whatever car or whatever boat or whatever pool you want and that kind of stuff within reason. I mean, like, I'm probably never going to have all those things that I want. Uh, but like most of you have opportunity if you try hard enough, get lucky enough in some places um, to have those things. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to your eternity, you can't get lucky enough. You can't earn your way into any of that. You just can't impossible to do on our own but this free gift that jesus offers is what's so valuable and so then the question comes if you understand that really is jesus worth risking everything for is jesus worth risking everything for because that's what he's saying right here is that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that you, you should be willing to risk whatever you need to. For some people, most of you don't have like lots of expensive things, so this wouldn't amount to much, but some people are called to sell everything they have and use their resources to reach the nations, to reach whoever, to, 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 
take those resources uh, and, and further the kingdom of God. Some people uh, are called to uh, risk their lives, to go into really dangerous places, really dangerous uh, countries and neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff to share the gospel. They're, they're called to, li- to risk their lives. And some people who are in a stage of life like you are called to risk popularity, called to risk maybe looking foolish, called to risk maybe not being on the team. There's various, there's various amounts of ways that we can be called to risk things, to give up things of this world if Jesus really is worth risking everything for. Is Jesus worth risking everything for? Most of you, um, where you're at, you have, some of you have uh, opportunity to have influence where you get to speak in front of like large amounts of your school, and that's cool. I was never really there or would ever want to do that. Uh, that sounds terrifying. Um, some of you have that opportunity. Some of you have opportunities to speak to your classes. Uh, some of you are homeschooled, and so you can talk to your dog. That's fine. Um, my kids, my kids are homeschooled. It's fine. It's fine. I, I, I can make fun of homeschoolers now, I guess. I wasn't homeschooled, uh, but I can make fun of you. But uh, no matter where you're at, you have some kind of, you have some kind of influence, even if you're homeschooled. Uh, you have some kind of influence. Most of the time, though, your influence is with one. Is with one. That one person that you're willing to step out and have a conversation with, not just about the weather or whatever sports game was on or any of that kind of stuff, but like spiritual conversation, talking about Jesus, inviting the church. That's your major influence in most of your uh, avenues of things, sports, whatever it is, dance, everybody does dance apparently, all the things, right? Like whatever it is you do, you have influence with at least one. Let's see a biblical example uh, of this idea of influencing one. So turn over to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, a few pages to the right. Chapter 1, John chapter 1. Give you just another second to turn there. John chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 43. Verse 43. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. So um, Jesus is in the middle of calling his first disciple. So Jesus is roughly 30 years old. Um, at this point, he's, he's starting to call one by one his, who will be his 12 disciples, 11 of whom will eventually change the whole world, right? Uh, he's calling them. Uh, that's, that's the context we find ourselves in. And so in verse 43, it reads like this. It's on the screen. Uh, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is how Jesus calls all of his disciples and how he calls you and I now, though he doesn't verbally speak to us. Uh, if he did, that's awesome. You should tell me about that. Um, but he doesn't verbally speak to us most often, but, he, but here he did. But it echoes through, through the ages. Jesus is calling to anybody who would choose to be his disciple, who would choose to follow him. He says this phrase, follow me. Two words that seem very simple, but hold all the meaning of the universe. Because what he was calling Philip and what he's calling you and I to do when he says, follow me, he says, be willing to do whatever it takes 
to give up whatever you need to give up. Risk whatever you need to risk for the purpose I'm calling you into. Jesus' purpose was to rescue the world, to rescue all of mankind. And he, asked, he invites each and every one of us through his free gift of salvation to join him in that purpose, that true meaning of life, to bring rescue, to bring ultimate value to the entire world. So he says, <clears throat> he says, follow me. And then 44, now Philip was from uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, who were a couple of other disciples. <clears throat> 45, Philip, this is, where he, this is where he gets one. Philip finds Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so Philip has just been called by Jesus, the Messiah, to follow him, to give up everything and to follow him. And Philip Philip's pumped about this, right? Because um, have you guys ever, how many people have been fishing ever in your whole life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you have been bored out of your mind while fishing? Yeah, 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 okay. Whenever you, whenever you're really one, one of the more mature among us and you can fish and not get bored, uh, and that kind of thing, it's a lot of fun. But there's this moment where you feel, it feels like, eternity, right? Like you, you like get everything ready or you're like probably the age most of you were, like your, your dad probably got it already. And then you like throw this rig, bobbers and hooks and all that kind of thing. And hopefully you didn't hook anybody around you. Like you throw it out in the water and you're like, all right, now what? Your dad's like, no, you just wait, man. You just wait. I just did this with my kids. Um, some of you know them, Emma, who's six, George is four, and Lottie, who's two. That was a terrible idea uh, to bring a two-year-old. Uh, we just did this, and so I got them all their own little fishing pole, this one that has, like, Frozen on it, and one that has, like, Paw Patrol, which is actually really cool, uh, on it, uh, and that kind of stuff. And so they're, like, they, they, throw, they throw this, you know, bobber in this, like, set up out in, into the water, and they're like, okay, what? Now you just wait. No, no that's stupid. What do I do now? Right? They don't say those words, but that's the actions. Uh, like five minutes in, which to them feels like eternity, right? Like you're just sitting there and it feels like forever. And sometimes you just don't ever catch anything and you gotta go home and it's, I feel like I just wasted what feels like a hundred years, but it was like two hours, right? Um, where, where they are in history at this point, when Jesus steps in, the Israelites have been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah to show up. There have been prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy, declaration from the Lord after declaration that he was sending rescue, that he was sending a Messiah. And they were sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then here he is, he shows up. Philip gets it, he sees it. He's like, this is the one we've been waiting on. This is what we've been waiting for all of these years, what all of the prophets, Moses, way back then, who he was writing about, this is him. And so, so Philip's pumped. I can just imagine this, okay? So Jesus, like, I, can't, I can't imagine Jesus again. I don't know what that would be. I feel like that would be terrifying. Um, but, but Jesus looks at Philip, and he says, follow me. And Philip's like, oh, okay, right? Uh, at least that's how I respond, because I wouldn't know what to say. Uh, yes right? Uh, and so Philip, he's like, well, what do I do now, right? What do I do now? And so what is, he doesn't like think to like gather a large crowd and like tell all these people all this stuff, though sometimes that's a good thing to do. What does he do? He thinks of one person. 
He immediately says, Nathaniel needs to know about this. Nathaniel needs to know that we have found the Messiah, that he has shown up, and he's called me to follow him. And so he runs straight to Nathaniel and tells him, look, we have found, he's here. The Messiah is here. His name is Jesus, and he's from the town Nazareth. This is a very interesting response here that, that Nathaniel gives in verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now that's like you've been sitting there for an hour and you haven't caught a fish and then like it gets on the hook and you're like, I doubt it's actually there. It's probably not there. It's fine. I didn't catch anything, right? That's kind of his initial reaction. He's like, are you sure about that, Philip? Are you really sure? Because in this setting, Nazareth was this little poor town that nobody of status, nobody of worth in their minds really came from. So why would the Messiah, who they had imagined to be this warrior, to be this man of wealth and status, no, I said, why would the Messiah come from Nazareth of all places? Why would he come from there? Nathaniel was skeptical. I think a lot of times what keeps us what keeps us from uh, really opening up and talking to the people around us about Jesus or even church is because we're, we're afraid either they'll reject us, that's a huge one, or we're afraid they're going to ask a question we don't know the answer to. Right? Am I right? Those of you who are Christians and, and like all the time, uh, if you're telling you, like, you need to share your faith, and you're like, well, what if they ask me, like, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know the answer to that, right? Um, answer is no. Um, Anyway, like, what if, what if they ask a hard question? That's okay. That's okay. You will not ever know everything there is to know about God. And so if you're waiting to know everything you need to know to not be caught off guard by a question, then you will never, ever, ever, ever share your faith because it's just impossible to know everything there is to know about God. What was, if we keep looking, you'll see, what was Philip's, response whenever whenever Nathaniel says uh, how can the Messiah actually come from that place how can it be that the Messiah would come from there this skeptical question what does Philip say at the end of 46 he says Philip said to him come and see come and see he didn't like try to say like well you know actually uh, God never promised that he would be a man of wealth and status and he didn't like sit there and try to debate Nathaniel he said no 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 no. let me show you let me show you who Jesus is come and see come and see Right? And so when, whenever you do actually step out and risk whatever it is that you're risking to share your faith with uh, somebody and they ask you a tough question, <clears throat> you might like take a second and be like, uh, you know, right? But it, it's okay to say, man, I, I have no clue. That's a really good question. Let's figure it out, right? And there's a lot of different ways you can do this, like come and see, right? There's, um, well, let's, let's, give me some time and let me, let me, think about that. Let me research that and figure out the answer and come back and give them an answer. Or, um, hey, let's start meeting on a regular basis. You start meeting with them and, and walking through the Bible, walk through the Gospel of John, whatever it is, and say like, hey, I don't know all the answers to what you have, but let's try to figure it out together. Let's, let's walk through Scripture and try to figure out the answers. Invite them to greenhouse, whatever it is. But this, this idea of not being afraid of tough questions but being ready to point them to Jesus. Because that's all Philip did. He's like, I don't know why, Jesus, why the Messiah would come from Nazareth, but you need to come see this Jesus guy because he is who he says he is. And, that, and that's it, right? Just come, you got to see Jesus for yourself to believe it. <clears throat> People have to experience and understand salvation for themselves. 
So here's, as you're, as you're starting this next school year, sorry, school's about to start. Um, as you're starting this next school year, you've got to start focusing. Okay, what, is, what am I going to do with my life this next school year? Besides, like, make a 6.0 or whatever it is, silly, that they let you make these days. Uh, besides being the best at whatever basket weaving thing you do or any of that kind of stuff. Like, besides all of those things, like, what, do you, what, is, what is life really going to be about this next year? What's it really going to be about this year? I go back to Matthew whenever, Matthew, whenever Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one <coughs> priceless pearl, and he went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. That's the challenge I'm giving you as you're, as you're leaning into this next school year. Those of you who are Christians, uh, and you, un, you, you get how valuable this gospel thing is, is to treat it just like this. This treasure, this thing that is so valuable that you risk anything and everything for it. And you want others to experience it just like you. Here's how I want you to put this in your mind, okay? Just like Philip had one person, whenever he realized and he got how awesome and valuable Jesus was, he had one person that he ran to and told about Jesus. Who's your one? Who's your one person as you start school that you can pray for, that you can intentionally try and have spiritual conversations with, that you can invite to a greenhouse? Who's, who's your one? One person. If you start having a conversation and they shut it down, have another one, but still pray for that person and come back occasionally. If they are like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm already a Christian. Let me check out whatever it is, right? There's all, there can always be another and another, but at least one as you start the school year, who are you going to be praying for, intentionally trying to have conversation with, and inviting to greenhouse? If you're a Christian, you have the most valuable thing in the universe. It's this free gift of salvation. Don't waste life chasing the things of this world that fade, that are ultimately pointless, that will leave you alone in the end. Run hard after what really matters. That's the gospel. It's Jesus. Who's your one? Just to eliminate some distraction, let's, uh, everybody close your eyes. Uh, the band's going to make their way up. We're going to sing another song. And during this time, I just want you to, to kind of gather around uh, in your, your, your thoughts, gather around your thoughts. <clears throat> during this next song, a couple of different potential responses. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, that's okay, man. We were all there at, some, at one point. I want you to know that Jesus offers you this same treasure Jesus offers you this priceless treasure. He died for your sins no matter how big or small. He took them on himself, died the death that you deserve to die, and conquered that death by raising from the dead. He stands offering salvation freely. If you just believe in him, put your faith in him. If you have questions, there are, uh, there are some adult leaders around the room. I'm here. Maybe you have a Christian friend around you can ask questions of. If you're, if you're just like, hey, man, I don't really have any questions, but I don't really know how to get to Jesus. Help me out. Um, find an adult leader. Find me. Find a Christian friend. And I'll walk you through that and lead you to this freedom, this treasure that we have that we want you to have as well. And those of you in the, in the room who are Christians already, during this last song, take some time to pray through and think through this next school year and commit to finding at least one person to talk to about Jesus 
buy them a greenhouse, do whatever it takes to, to push them into a, or, or toward Jesus, to say, come and see. I want you to see this Jesus that I follow. Who, who's your one? Let me pray and then we'll stand and sing. Father, I thank you so much that you sent rescue, that you sent Jesus to die for us. Help us to understand how incredible that is and how much you have called us into a life of purpose and a life of meaning to run hard after that and telling everyone around us, one by one if we have to, how awesome and how valuable you and your kingdom are. Christ, I pray. Amen.